the best podcast I ever did didn't record that is something i i know i have had one where it recorded but her side of the conversation was perfect mine was unusable so i had to re-record my half of the conversation and meld the two together and actually the end result was brilliant but it took me seven hours to do for a 25 minute podcast oh wow welcome to the sonship podcast i'm your host danny atias The Sundership Podcast is all about hearing inspiring stories from people with purpose. And today's person with purpose is Amanda Brock. Amanda is CEO of Open UK, the UK body for open technology, being open software, open hardware, and open data. She is also a board member for the Cabinet Office Open Standards Board, advisory board member for the Government Energy Sector Digitalization Task Force, European representative of the Open Invention Network and a charity trustee for Creative Creef, a Scottish social impact organisation aiming to improve the lives of young people and the wider community in rural Strathern and Strathallan through deep impact engagement in music, film and the creative arts. As a senior lawyer, Amanda has worked across a range of sectors, including technology and financial services in emerging markets. She is a regular international keynote speaker, podcast guest, and panel member, as well as an author covering digital business and revenue models, open source policy, and legal issues, with a particular focus on open for good. She writes regularly for academic journals and the tech press. Amanda was also listed as one of the 20 CEOs to watch. So we're watching. Amanda Brock, welcome to the Sunship Podcast. Thank you very much, Danny. And I'm also going to start and say thank you massively for an invitation to your extraordinary event at COP26 in Glasgow recently. That was a huge privilege and opportunity to be there. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was fun. I think everybody had a good time, right? I think it was quite an impactful event. It was absolutely brilliant to be a part of that. And hopefully we'll touch on that a little bit later. But hopefully, as our listeners know, Sondership podcast is all about that concept of sonder. Sonder being that realization that every random passerby has got a life as vivid and complex as your own. So I'd like to start by asking you to share your earliest or most memorable sonder moment. The sonder moment I'm going to pick is a chap who is one of our Open UK ambassadors, Danny Abukalam, his dad. Now, his dad came to my rescue earlier this year. His name is Hisham and he's from Jordan, but he lives up in the Midlands. And he came to my rescue because we'd raised the money to to buy glove kits as they would have been mini moo glove kits. And I'd raised about £60,000 to do this. And I found out on a Saturday morning just how much we had. And on the Tuesday, the supplier pulled the product. So we then spent June, July, August in the pandemic's post-Brexit supply chain issues, building our own glove. And it meant we couldn't do it as a summer camp, but that we did actually create more gloves because we, we reduced the cost price by doing it ourselves. Obviously, we brought them out and we've been distributing them through October. But Danny Abacallum's dad created these gloves for me and actually stitched them with a team of semi-retired seamstresses. And it sort of sounds like pixies in the Midlands, you know? <laughs> but uh, I've got to know him a little bit. And I actually just invited him yesterday to join us at the House of Commons on the 21st of January for our burn supper. 
So hopefully the, the real life person will be there with a lot of our community and engaging. But I, I think sort of getting to know him a little bit and him sort of coming to my rescue is probably the most recent solid moment of Sonder that I've had. Yeah. Does that fit the criteria? Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, there's no official criteria. We don't judge okay. and we don't mark them, but that, that's a really long story. And it's, <laughs> it's got me thinking about lots of different things. Something you said is actually something I've been feeling quite recently. The, at the very beginning, you said about all these brilliant people and then they get on with their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got this, I, I like to keep in contact with people and I like to engage with brilliant people. The problem I've got now is every week I meet a new, incredible, brilliant person. And I'm thinking I'm going to run out of capacity eventually, if I keep this podcast going, to keep up and yeah. keep in contact and maintain a relationship with all of these incredible, which I desperately, desperately want to do. And so I kind of felt that as you were saying it, it kind of related to, you know, we're, we're at around 20 odd episodes now. It's not too bad, but if we get to 200 or 500, it's going to be, it's a lot of Christmas cards it's to interesting. write. It, it's something that I have an incredible capacity for. So Gavin Starks, who you might have met at Cobb, has a, a phrase which is connect, don't collect or some words to that Ooh, effect. Yeah. So he wants to connect people, not collect them. And secretly, I've always referred to it as collecting people. Mm. And it's probably one of my characteristics. So when you look at what we've done in the last few months, there's a chap I was in primary school with who made the wooden bases. I've not really been in touch with him a lot since I was 10, Timo, but he made these wooden bases for us. And he did it last year as well for our awards because he happens to be really good at that. And, uh, you know, I knew he was doing a lot of craft and woodwork and stuff. And I'm very... I don't know. I'm very good at that connection that you're talking about and I enjoy people. So I really like it. Mm. So I suppose I do stay connected with an awful lot of people. I, I can relate to the collect bit and I need to switch over to the connect more. Brilliant. So Amanda, let's start actually not at the beginning. Let's start at the end. Let's understand the incredible purpose-driven activities that you're currently involved with. Uh, I mentioned COP26 and you ran a, a whole day incredible all-day event in Glasgow around sustainability and really opened up uh, a lot of people's eyes to so many different concepts. And you also mentioned these gloves uh, and it's, let's understand what these glove kits are all about, but they're again, incredible social purpose. So let's hear, to start with, a, a little bit about the energy and the effort and the things that you are, are doing at the moment that have got this real purpose drive. And then, and then we'll go back a bit to understand your journey on how you got okay. to be there. I suppose when we talk about purpose, it's something that I've done a lot of thinking about. And I spent 25 years being a very senior, for most of it, lawyer across a number of different sectors. I made a lot of people a lot of money. I didn't find that a particularly fulfilling way to live. I wanted to do something where I felt that I was contributing to society. I suppose I've been a charity trustee. I am now, as you've mentioned, I have been in the past. And by doing that kind of thing, one contributes a little bit. But I hit sort of 49.50 and decided that I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life focused on commerce and wanted to do something in the best way that I could with the most belief that I could muster. And the thing that I believe in most is probably collective equity, a phrase I probably didn't even know 18 months ago, Christian Carino, <laughs> our chief sustainability officer sort of explained it to me and it exactly sums up my my personal belief. 
And I think that Open creates that. I joined Canonical at the beginning of 2008 as their first and then their, their first lawyer and then their head lawyer. And I had really joined to do commercial work and probably surprised everybody by the level of engagement I had with open source. And I found that it matched my personal sort of ethics and moral values beautifully. And this ability and desire to collaborate and share and reuse and recycle and not waste time doing sort of boring commoditized stuff and doing the stuff that was interesting. I found that I was surrounded by super smart individuals doing really clever things who would work well with all sorts of different people. Now, I'm sugarcoating it, I'm sure, a bit because there's always been a bit of a ruckus and, you know, it's not always been the most diverse group and it's not always been the easiest group of people. But they have common beliefs that have, to my mind, a good and ethical core, irrespective Mm. of your, you know, your creed, your colour, your religion, whatever it is. It's there for everybody to participate in and use. And people are judged on their contribution. They're judged on their their personal activity, not on how they look, not on what they do day to day, but what they contribute and how they're part of that community. I use the word community too much, and I, I generally use it day to day to mean the business community around open. But in this context, I mean it much more broadly. And I think community is a, a really vital thing, as is collaboration. And that, for me, was the thing that I identified with, is sharing collaboration. So when it came to thinking about what could I do that was useful to society, I knew that I wanted it to focus on open. I knew that Brexit was happening. And I hadn't been interested in being involved in a country-specific organisation. I found it quite xenophobic. Mm. But I saw an opportunity with Brexit to make sure that the UK was engaging. So I jumped in with both feet, really. Excellent. I like this collective equity concept. It's good, isn't it? It's a really, yeah. It might be worth, again, this isn't a technology podcast, but it might be worth just explaining what open technology is in very lay person perspective. Sure, sure. So it's software, it's hardware and it's data that are open and collaborative. And by that, what I mean is that everybody can share the intellectual property, the copyright, the trademarks, the things that you possibly will see day to day as the basis on which companies normally make money. Instead of those creating revenue models for businesses, they are generally shared in a way that allows collaboration a great example would be Mojoloop. Mojoloop is an open source payment platform which has been rolled out in Africa. Now, I've worked in finance before and I've worked in finance and emerging markets where we put proprietary platforms in, not open platforms. And what that meant was the people in those countries that didn't have a lot of money had to find money to pay royalties and licensing and mm-hmm. somebody somewhere was making money on the software. Whereas with something like Mojoloop, what you do is share the software share the platform without a royalty cost. And the impact of that is, it's like the give a man a fish and he can eat a meal, give a man the tools to fish and he can eat for life. What you're doing is giving somebody the software and allowing them to learn to use it because it's open and free Mm. and they can build their own communities. They can manage something for themselves in their own future. So it's simplest. That's how it works. And in society in the West, you'll know it from things like Android, which have shaped markets differently, changed traditional economic markets. Okay. Oh, and actually Chrome. Google Chrome yep. is built, yep. Firefox, built open source 
package, which then Microsoft used for their browser. Interesting. In fact, the way we met, Amanda, is I was involved in an open project at Antinol and the stem cell register where I, I worked for a number of years. And the incredible team there built a search algorithm to try and find stem cell donors for patients who need a life-saving stem cell transplant. And what we decided as a team, as a charity, as an organization is why are people all over the world having to build this thing again and again and again? Exactly. We're not competing with each other. We're all, we're all fishing from the same pool of stem cell donors. So we built it once. We've made it public and open source. And it really changed our thinking on how we built it. And, and, that, and, and, and this is I'm definitely not talking about technology now. When you make something for other people to use and for other people to share, you think about how can someone pick this up and make use of it and run with it rather than, well, I made something for me and I'll just put it on a shelf. And if you want it, you can have it, but it might not fit. It might not be usable for you. We kind of put a lot of effort to provide documentation and testing and, and things so we could put it on the shelf. Now, Maybe no one will ever take it off the shelf and maybe people will adapt it for other things and maybe they'll use it and contribute to make it better. But either way, it doesn't need to be exclusive. So let's share it. And so it's really lovely. And it's, um, I kind of accidentally fell into that community. Yeah, but it's community. also much more sustainable, right? Because you're creating a circular economy, you're recycling. It doesn't matter if nobody touches that for five years, somebody will go and use it as a base point for something else and it will avoid mm -hmm. them reinventing the wheel. It creates that structure. Let's talk about sustainability and what are you pushing? What are you trying to help and influence on the sustainability front through the work that you do and the connections that you make? Yeah, we want to see technology collectively across over the UK. We want to see technology being more sustainable. So we want to see the carbon footprint improving with things like the data center blueprint we did. So by opening things up, it's very clear that we can create more efficient technology that will reduce carbon footprint, maybe get down to carbon negative. So we want to see that. We want to look at sustainability in a much broader way. And this sort of collective equity phrase that I used, we want to see the societal values that technology can bring and if it's open be opened up more and broadened out. And by that, I'm thinking of things like skills development. So if you're using a collaborative approach, you end up learning on the job, you learn from each other, you share not just the, the basic technology, but the ways you use it, the ways that it can be improved. And that all allows individuals to improve their skills as they're using it. That the very nature of collaboration is part of that. Being part of a collaboration is a good societal thing. So we see societal benefits that are much broader than economic benefits coming from open, and those will feed into a more sustainable society. And that's important to us. And you talk about community and collaboration, and often we talk about diversity and inclusion. And one of the things that really opened my eyes, particularly at your, your event, but at the things that you do is you've got kids involved. And I don't mean yep. slave labor sewing gloves, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was like a bit worried that. about it. In fact, <laughs> I was really worried about it. If I'm honest with you, the kids who we had on stage were my nephew oh. and one of the people, who, one of the ladies who has run our kids course, she's done the curriculum, her daughter. And we did that rather than sort of third party children because I was so nervous about it. I was nervous about putting children in a position where they might be stressed, although as you saw, they definitely weren't. 
but also there's a, a phrase that sometimes gets used now, youth washing. And there was mm-hmm. a perception around COP mm-hmm. that some people were trying to do that. So I was really in two minds about whether we should go ahead with the children who really wanted to do it because I didn't want to create any perception that we were doing that. We thought it was an opportunity to bring children in and talk about their future and talk about what sustainability meant to them to frame our conversation. And the feedback I've had is that that worked really well. And I hope it did. But I was quite anxious about it. But how old's your nephew? Ten. Ten. So I got goosebumps when your nephew at 10 years old was talking about fishing uh, boats. And he was good at that, wasn't he? Scraping the floor <laughs> of the ocean, destroy. I, I just thought these are the people that really should damn well care because everyone who's going out for their fish dinners doesn't care where it comes from. But your ten-year-old nephew and and oh, he does. Uh, his age yeah. are gonna. It's gonna have us. Well, I mean, it's already having a serious impact on climate change in the society. So hearing it straight from these kids, and you know, a kid that isn't Greta Thunberg, so more yeah. than. I think it was incredible, but also the work you're doing with these gloves. So to talk about that, because that's a really exciting project. It is, it is. And um, slightly long story, but we've got a couple of minutes, I think. So about 10 years ago, I met this singer, Imogen Heap, and she'd created a software glove and was looking at open sourcing it and needed some pro bono legal advice around that. So I was still working as a lawyer and I was introduced to her and I did a bit of work for her. Fast forward to 2020, and I'm looking at Open UK and having my first kids project and a competition. And I'll be absolutely honest, I was doing that to build the credibility around Open UK so that we could, over time, develop a GCSE that was different from the one that we currently have in technology. And I wanted to build an apprenticeship scheme, I thought then. So my first step in my mind was to go out there and start to engage around education, bringing some schools together, having a competition. So I thought we'll use Imogen's glove. And I raised the money to get the kids version of the glove. Now, it's not just Imogen who's been seen with her adult glove. Ariana Grande toured with it in 2015 and Imogen took me and a child who I was looking after to meet Ariana Grande. So we went to the concert, we went backstage I think I met Pharrell Williams, but didn't know who I was talking to. You know, it's just, it's one of those judge moments is that pop music, you know? Um, Anyway, so I thought this is the obvious way to go. I'll go and speak to Imogen, who's super lovely and super helpful, and said, of course, she would be supportive of it. She was going to come and spend a day in Red Hat's Innovation Labs with the finalists from the competition, and then the pandemic hit. And my one glove per four children wasn't going to work. Can you imagine asking someone to share a glove in the pandemic? Yeah. It wasn't happening. And then <laughs> only, there was no way we Jackson, could... Uh, only right, Jackson yeah, gets let's not glove. go there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so the whole, um, you know, bringing kids to London, that wasn't going to happen either. And I, I, I was sort of flattened by it and had to bounce back. So what I did was repurpose the money we would have spent on travel and create a different way of doing the, the competition so that every child who was in it was going to be given one mini moo glove. And then I also thought, well, why don't we do something a bit more for them? Let's create a little mini course. And I went to people who I'd met in the very early stages of Open UK, Matt Buck at Journalism, who's a wonderful animator and drew our courses. Pamela Bowl, who'd been introduced to me, who lives in my hometown of Creef and who did curriculum, and actually David Whale, who was in the sort of Hall of Fame as one of the top educationalists in the UK. 
And they all did me massive favours on virtually no budget and created the first kids course. And we raised the money to buy three and a half thousand gloves last year. And we distributed those to kids free over the summer because we created the course. We gave it to the small group who were in the competition and realised that actually it was better than just for 100 kids. We should share this. Mm. So we did that. And then as happens with many things, having done it, although I thought it was brilliant, I thought I'd like to do it slightly differently and with the benefit of hindsight. So I went out and persuaded Red Hat to fund me again. And this time we aimed to spend the money primarily on the course and pay people properly who had done us massive favours before, although it's a mixture of paid and volunteer resource who've created the second course. And what we've done is we've based it on the open source definition. You want to know what open source really is, then follow that. Mm-hmm. And we've also brought sustainability and the SDGs into it. So each lesson uses this glove to teach coding and digital skills whilst explaining the uh, open source definition and the sustainable development goals. So the the gloves sort of have, uh, gloves have grown legs, but they have, they've grown legs. And we were able mm-hmm. to give away, gosh, 5,000. And I am hoping that by next spring, I will raise another bigger chunk of money mm. and have a serious number of thousands. Poor Danny and Bacallum's dad's going to be busy stitching. <laughs> I would like to have tens of thousands to put into schools. And the idea is that the curriculum is focused at key stage three. It is totally practical. We talk about data centers. We talk about cloud computing. We talk about stuff that isn't in the out-of-date GCSE curriculum. Mm. So we get kids thinking about the stuff that they would really be doing if they were working in tech. We probably won't get to the GCSE stage next year or it'll be very end of next year, but we will build an apprenticeship knowledge module. Mm. So children who are practically minded will be able to do this course, go through their, their fourth year at school and whatever it's called in England, and then uh, go out and do this apprenticeship module if they want to. That's amazing. And hopefully by 2023, there'll be a GCSE as well. So you start with a Ariana Grande's glove. Grande glove, yeah. I usually have one to hand and I can't find one. (laughs) And then you move through to educating kids about coding and sustainability and technology and open source. I mean, that's that's amazing. And I assume the design and configuration of the glove is open source. So anyone could, in theory, just go and buy the components and get their own glove. The the wonderful people at MyMoo who make the glove open sourced it. And you can get one from us or you can go off and take the template for the glove, cut and stitch your own. And then you need a micro bit too. So all you need is that open source template, a micro bit, how much they are 15 quid or something you can actually borrow them from libraries and there's a huge number of them in the school supply chain that was another reason for us going with that so you don't even have to be able to afford that what we did with the money we had is we made 1200 of them complete with the micro bits i think the retail value used to be about 50 pounds each when they were being sold so we were able to give away 1200 like that and 3800 without the micro bits where we assume that people will already have them yeah amazing So let's go back a bit then. So you talked about that transition point where you were a lawyer and making lots of money for other people, hopefully for yourself as well, but for other people. And I'm assuming you weren't a cold, callous lawyer right up until that point, but actually you've had a big heart all the way through and and that these things have been important to you growing up. I'm making wild assumptions here. I hope that's the case. 
you're going to say, no, I was unscrupulous and I had no morals. Oh, no, I was never unscrupulous. (laughs) And one of the things I liked best about Canonical was the chief exec there allowed me to run the legal team on the basis that we never asked anyone to sign anything we wouldn't sign. Nice. I think the world would be a lot easier if lawyers were more like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My first conversation with every lawyer is make it mutual. Yeah, Make it absolutely. Equal on Did both you notice? Sides. And so we we've just shared the videos, and I will say I think it's openuk.uk slash sustainability. Certainly, the link will be around there. There is a video of Francis Maud, Lord Maud, who has been super. I mean, he's just been such a brilliant guy, and I know that it almost brought the room to tears when he was speaking. But he talks about how lawyers are one of the problems with sustainability, and I completely agree with him. Because what they drive organizations to do is look at shareholder value and nothing else. Mm. And that's not what we're looking at in sustainability or in collective equity, in thinking about the broader picture of what a company ought to be doing. And I believe probably in the not too distant future, we'll see legislation to back this up and force them to think more broadly. But we were having a conversation earlier about circular economy and what happens when data centers get rid of their servers. Mm. And hard as it is to believe, they shred them. Mm-hmm. They don't recycle them. They don't mm-hmm. wipe them. They shred them. Mm-hmm. Now, they do that because a bunch of lawyers are worried about GDPR breaches. Mm-hmm. And I totally get that because you don't want GDPR breaches. We all want to be comfortable that our data is safe and secure. However, there's a sort of gap there, right? And what they're doing is shredding them because that's the absolute safest, probably over the top, probably unnecessary, but legalistically easiest route to go down, mm-hmm. as opposed to taking a very small risk in the middle and just wiping those discs and putting them back into the economy and not wasting. Yeah. So it's sort of my hobby horse for the day. It's a fact that I found out this morning that I'm quite annoyed about. <laughs> So Amanda, where can our listeners find out more about you and Open UK and these wonderful projects that you're doing? We'd send them to our website, openuk.uk, our Twitter account, openuk underscore UK. We do a sort of frequent but not structured newsletter. So every sort of two to four weeks, we'll send out a newsletter updating people. It'd be great to have people sign up to that and engage. From a personal perspective, I use Twitter, Amanda Brock UK. And we've actually just created an Instagram account. I don't cool. even know how I tell you what that is, but I'm told that that's what we need to be doing these days. So we'll find it we, and put it in the show notes. Yeah. We actually have a big piece of work that's going to be happening over the next few months, bringing younger folk into the organization. We talked a bit about kids before. We have Katie Gamanji taking a role on the engineering slash founder side and a chap called Robert Grinnells on the legal and policy side who are going to help us evolve a younger, I wouldn't say version, but a younger component to Open UK for the sort of 20-somethings. So I'm really keen that anybody who's listening who might fit that bracket reach out to us. We're really enthusiastic about bringing more young folk in. Excellent. Thank you, Amanda. And thank you for being a guest on the Sunship podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You probably can't see because I don't think this is on video that I'm being mauled by my cat Dundee as I'm talking, which is why I might be slightly distracted. It must be dinner time. I so, think anyway, that's. Jumped what up the... when we were talking about fish. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, quite possibly. He's a fan of fish. <laughs>